Hey, chiropractors, we're ready for another modern chiropractic marketing show with Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing strategies, content marketing, direct response marketing, and business development with some of the leading experts in the industry. Hey, docs, welcome to another episode of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, and today I've got an interview with Dr. Tim Bertelsman of Cairo Up and private practice uh, many years, and we dive into both things. You know, I love talking to people that are doing things for the profession, but then asking them a lot of questions about their practice because uh, sometimes you just hear about uh, the Cairo Up or the modern chiropractic marketing, whatever it is, and I love to dive into uh, some of the practice stuff, what got going. So first part of this, we really talk about that. We dive into everything clinical, systems. We talk a lot about systems. I think that's something that goes unnoticed a lot of times and also some marketing and how to tie those three in together for a thriving practice. Uh, Dr. Burleson's uh, been practicing for since 1992, uh, had Cairo up for over 10 years now, been doing a ton for that. Uh, I know we've collaborated from the Modern Chiropractic Marketing side of things and Chiropractic Success Academy. They give us great clinical information for our docs and it's just been an exciting collaboration that we've had uh, with him and Dr. Brandon Steele and just always impressed with what they're doing uh, but very impressed with them individually as well and the type of um, content they put out there, the professionalism, uh, the quality and, and honestly, you can just tell they're doing things the right way in their practice. They took that experience, put it into a product with ChiroUp that's just really helping the profession, helping doctors uh, educate themselves, get some really good information, then educate their patients, create content, get it out there. And it's a great clinical system for your practice. And we, we just dive into a lot of good information. He's a wealth of knowledge. There's some take-home points here that you're going to uh, listen to and just really it's going to click for you. Because I know it did for me. Um, I took a lot of notes, things that I'm going to be implementing in this. And so check it out. This is my interview with Dr. Tim Bertelsman. All right. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bertelsman. I really appreciate your time today. Um, before we dive into all kinds of things, practice related, chiro up related, tell us a little bit about yourself, both personally and professionally, and we'll go from there. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I, uh, I'm in private practice. I've been in private practice now for a long time. I graduated from Logan College and then in 1992 uh, started my uh, practice. I was an independent contractor starting out. Um, really just down the street from where I am now. And then about a year and a half after that experience, um, I, I branched out and we started this office. Uh, and I've been here ever since. Brandon joined me about 10 or 11 years ago, uh, Dr. Steele. And uh, we see uh, patients five days a week, or at least one of us will see five days a week. We have uh, an associate, a really great associate here who works with us. And that helps us to, to be able to get out here and there. Uh, but I, I love private practice out all the things I do. It's one of the most enjoyable things. Yeah, you know, you and I were pre-chatting a little bit and we're both doing the two day a week patient care. Uh, it's enjoyable, like you said, getting, uh, getting our hands into it in the trenches, but at the same time doing a lot of other things. And so it's, uh, it makes it fun, right? It definitely makes it fun. It's a lot of, a lot of balls to juggle. And, mm -hmm. and that variety is interesting, I'm sure, as you find. Uh, but those days when you get done with patient care and you're worn out and you've seen, seen all the patients throughout the day, 
the good and the bad and, and everything in between, it's still a feeling of reward that we, that we as chiropractors are really, really lucky mm-hmm. uh, to be able to go home at the end of the day and, and know that you've done something to change people's worlds, big, big or small. And I, I will say those are the most rewarding days is the clinical practice day still. Yeah, and you're fresh when you get get there and do it, and it's it's nice. So, perfect. Um, I want to talk about your practice a little bit. You, you graduated, you said in '92. What year was it that you opened up your own practice? Uh, it was probably '94. So, shortly after, yeah, but maybe two years, year and a half or so after, I practiced with someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was a good guy. He was an instructor at Logan. Um, had a practice. He he taught Cox technique, mm-hmm. and I joined his practice as an independent contractor. And then we just kind of. Uh, outgrew it. It was a limited size practice and he was fairly busy. And as I started to get a little busier, we just needed some space. So I went down the street and uh, ultimately he, he uh, retired and got out of practice. So I see a lot of those patients now too. And I've been here ever since. So you built your practice on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok back then, right? <laughs> exactly. It was more like uh, bonfires that we use smoke signals. Uh, <laughs> we did have telegraphs at that point as well. So that yeah. was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It was a different practice building cycle at that point in time that, that now we have a lot of tools that can help us if, mm-hmm. if you know how to use those tools mm-hmm. and some that can really do it efficiently. Um, at that point in time, it was a lot of um, what it is still now, just busting your butt to yeah. get out and meeting people. Um, I did, did everything that I possibly could in the initial stages, and my wife would tell you probably more than I, I could have, yeah. uh, to get into gyms and health, health centers and, and speak to people to do classes for various groups. I think I spoke to every organization in our three-county three area um, and just spent a lot, of, a lot of time in front of at that time. Yeah. And that's something I think, you know, I, I love interviewing people that have, uh, you know, done this, built a practice and, and kind of realize and, and show the, the younger docs out there, or even the ones that have been out for say 10 years is that this takes some time, you know, it's, it's like building that book of business and it's going to take a lot of getting out there and doing that. And uh, sometimes we fail to realize that. And, you know, I didn't know a lot about your, your private practice, but you were kind enough to, to give us a presentation for our virtual business summit that we did a few months ago. And, and I watched your presentation and you did a lot with MD marketing and still do, uh, it sounds like. Yeah, very much so that that when I um, got into practice, like so many people, I I think I didn't know a lot about business that uh, I guess I was always somewhat of a business person having a lawn service and, uh, you know, growing that into something fairly big and a couple other little businesses. But those are those are kind of different that you get into practice and now you're in the real world. And I didn't have all the all the skills that I needed. So I was certainly a student of trying to find out what I needed and still am a student. By no means do I have all the answers with regard to that. But we always looked for, you know, what's our marketing strategy? What's our plan? And at that point in time, it was magazines and, and books and, and certainly the internet as well. And you'd see so many things and it would be confusing as to what works and what doesn't work. And one thing that I found is you just have to pick a couple of things that tend to produce the greatest ROI and stick with them. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here as far as how to, how to market a practice and everybody does it differently. My practice is based on patient referrals and MD referrals and probably 95% of our patients come from one of those two sources. And the, the MD referrals has been particularly rewarding because once that uh, stream starts, it tends to stay, and those are also really loyal patients that depending upon what you're, what you're marketing, if you have a patient that you've turned from a cold prospect into a patient, 
they're ready to jump ship pretty easily. Whereas if that patient comes from a, another referral from a patient, they're a little bit more loyal. And if that comes from a, a, an MD that you have a relationship with or a DO or any other, other physician, it tends to really be a loyal patient that they'll stick around a lot more. So we put a lot of time and effort into the basket of, of building the MD relationships. And the main things that we did were, were to go out and to uh, meet the MD because like any relationship, uh, we had to know them. We wanted to know what their personal interests were. We wanted to know what their practice looked like, their preferences. So we still do. Now, uh, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, it slowed down a little bit as far as getting into their offices. Yeah, if you don't mind, I, I, if you could touch on that a little bit, because I get a lot of people asking about that now. What have you had to do to pivot uh, with your MD marketing? Yeah, that's a challenge. Um, so I can't tell you that we're doing anything that's as effective as it used to be, yeah. um, and, but we're doing things that are still very viable. And we're seeing probably more MD referrals than we did because um, MDs are looking for ways to keep patients away from hospital-based facilities as well. So they're looking for conservative offices that are using good practices to keep their patients safe. And patients are asking for that as well. So the two, the two main things that we continue to do to make that happen is, uh, number one, we send routine correspondence to the primary care. That we'll send an initial report when the patient comes in. We'll uh, say, Dr. Smith, your patient came in with a chief complaint of lower back pain. My workup uh, suggested a diagnosis of a lumbar disc lesion that's extension biased. I'm going to perform spinal manipulation, directional therapy, some modalities and some home exercise, and I'll keep you appraised of the progress. But I think more important than that is we send a release report to that patient's primary care physician that unfortunately we only get to see each other's failures. Mm -hmm. That um, if, if I surveyed everyone and said, do inversion tables work, the people that, that raise their hand, I've done this thousands of times, or mm -hmm. to thousands of people I should say, the people who raise their hand are those who own an inversion table yeah. because they know that it works. The rest of us don't think that they work because we've never seen one that works. Mm -hmm. That if a patient has an inversion table that works miracles, they don't need us and they don't need their primary care for their lower back. So we don't see those success stories. We see the patient who came in that said, I've tried an inversion table. I've tried muscle relaxants. I've tried acupuncture and that didn't work. So we hear that again and again. And unfortunately, that primary care physician gets to hear our failures again and again. Uh, and, and it distorts the image. So they see the same evidence we do. There's tons of data to say that what, what spinal manipulation and chiropractors can do for back pain is exceeded by no one, that we're, we're the best at managing those problems. And they see that data. And the reason that it doesn't change referral patterns is their personal experience. So we try to change their personal experience with those, those uh, release reports that 100% of our patients, when they're done with care, will ship a note out to the primary care physician to follow up on the initial su summary that said, Dr. Smith, your patient was seen seven times or 12 times. They report 90 or 100% improvement. Their objective findings have improved proportionately. And at this point, I'm going to release that patient back to your, uh, your discretion. And that does a couple of things. It dispels the myth, most importantly, number one, that spinal manipulation doesn't solve their problem. They see it again and again. It did solve the problem. And number two, that we release patients <laughs> and we release them alive, that we didn't, didn't kill them in the process. Uh, so that I think the MD can see that again and again, and she or he ultimately recognizes, well, let's at least give this a try. And so it starts to open those, those pathways, open that communicate, line of communication, that line of trust that's so essential to building the practice. Without MD referrals, 
we, we would have a hard time uh, staying in practice. So that's been our, our mode of success through the years. And I think those two tools have been massive in that, that regard. The other thing that we do now COVID-wise to follow up on your question mm-hmm. is since we can't really get into offices nearly as much as we write notes mm-hmm. and we'll write handwritten notes to the, it's, it's a magical note that if you'll just say, Dr. Smith wanted to let you know how appreciative I am for your referral of, of patients, not necessarily after any one given patient, but just uh, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon, sit down and write out a dozen notes to the primary care physicians in your area and that will absolutely produce referrals of that week. Then the MDs that you have relationships with, it's a matter of staying front of mind. And so the things of taking in post-its or taking in uh, pens or dropping off a basket of fruit and certainly having lunch, that's a challenge, but it's not a challenge to keep that relationship going. And I always think of the MD relationships that what would you do if this was your, your first girlfriend, your first boyfriend? you would find a way to continue to communicate regardless of the situation. And the same thing's true when you go into their office. If this were a first date, don't take a PowerPoint with you. Don't jump right into the message of what you're looking for. Make sure that you're getting to know them, that you're getting to follow up on their interests and and treat it as a relationship that you're going to give way before you ever expect to receive and and good things tend to happen. Yeah, no, that's great information and and a lot of good um, nuggets of information there. And I think people need to realize that MD marketing still can happen. It looks a little bit different. One of the things that I've also done was I I do have a texting relationship with a few MDs. uh, And I'm not, if you don't have a texting relationship, maybe that's a little bit crossing a line. I don't know. But uh, with the ones that I did, I've made sure that I've reached out to them when we close for a month, when some of them close, uh, you know, just different things. And I've been communicating with them consistently and it has helped out. Uh, I just got a text today from an ortho that I've done some work with and, and he's sending us a, a husband wife couple, you know, and he, he actually texts me every time he's sending someone. So uh, it's yeah. been nice. Those, uh, those relationships are golden when you can develop it to that level. And it, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's kind of like the, the dating scene. You don't want to ask for marriage on this first or second yeah. date, but certainly getting to, that ability to text with an MD has taken that to a new level. And I always think back to one of my first days in practice, I heard uh, an MD speak and he said, buds refer to buds. And I think that's so true that the closer that we can, can get in that relationship uh, to, to being a friend of that person, to being a confidant of that provider, the more likely we are to be able to be trusted to do business with them. You know, you said the texting thing. I love that. And, and I really haven't used that, that I think of my phone. I've got several MDs that I could text and that's a, that's a great idea. Uh, One one of the other things that we did was we sent out what our COVID policies were. Oh, that's great. You just let let them know this is what we're doing to keep patients safe. And it was just a letter that was directed at the the MD so that they understand, look, we, we take this seriously because again, they tend to hear from our lowest common denominator in our profession and think that maybe, you know, all of us are believing the same thing. Uh, so we let them know that hey, here's where we stand on that process. And yes, we take this seriously and we're going to make sure your patients stay healthy. That's great. You should consider, we, we did a video and we had a professionally done and you and Brandon are both great on video. It's the, it's the combination of the, the deadpan humor sometimes and the, and the Midwest charm. I love it. So you, you guys should do one with a little bit of uh, fun around it. And, and uh, we put that on our website. We've emailed it to our patients. We actually got some reactivations of people that were timid, we'll call it, uh, to come to the back to the chiropractor uh, and they felt better about it. So uh, consider that you, you guys are awesome on videos. <laughs> 
So good, good. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask was that uh, I, I love talking to people that um, are clinically based. Uh, that's how I always have been. I'm, uh, you know, I was a clinician first and, and you were a clinician first, uh, but you built a, a business around that and you weren't afraid uh, to do that and, and turn your practice into a highly functioning practice that allows you to only treat patient twice, twice a day. What are some, what's some feedback or not feedback, what's some tips you can give a, a chiropractor that feels like, you know, business is business and chiropractic is healthcare and they really shouldn't mix the two or, you know, sometimes they feel like they don't need to do that type of stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, unfortunately we have to do some of the things that we we're not comfortable with as clinicians and that's run a business um, that that I think all good, good clinicians truly are patient-centered that no one no one who's a great clinician gets into the the business to say I'm gonna make a fortune uh, the bad news is in order to stay in the business you have to be at least somewhat productive and successful so I always think of it and I, I don't want to sound uh, preachy because I, I'm not perfect in any regard uh, but I always think of it as we have two hands, that we have a clinical hand and we have a business hand. And some of us are, are really strong in our clinical hand and we forget the business hand and that doesn't work out. And some of us are really strong in the business hand and forget the clinical hand and then that's a disaster. And, and sometimes that works, but it gives us all a black eye. Uh, but always recognizing that you have those two hands and just making sure the clinical hand stays slightly above the business hand, that any decision that's made is, is in the best interest of the patient and of the clinical decision. And I think that the business decisions tend to follow, but not, not forgetting those business decisions are essential that to, to have something uh, we need the, the Marcus Lamona strategy of we need a, a great product. And, and if you're clinically based, you probably have a great product as long as you have the support around that, that you have, you know, convenience that the patient can access, access your office easily, that they can get a hold of your staff, that they can schedule in a reasonable period of time, that your payment policies are reasonable. So all of those things with, with regard to the product and then the people, uh, which as you know, with, with multiple clinics is probably one of the most challenging things to find the right people and make sure they're in the right seats in the bus. Sometimes you have good people that, that don't belong in the office manager seat or good people who don't belong in a, in a different seat. And then the, the processes that go with that, and that's really the scalability of the business, which I think determines the success or failure, because we all have the ability to see a couple of patients and treat them with the finest care. To be able to do that for 20, 30, 40, 50, however many patients a day that somebody sees, that's a different game, to be able to deliver that highest standard of care for more than five or 10 patients. And I think that's where, where systems come in, the scalability aspect. And I'd say that's, that's where we've invested most of our energy to say, how do, we, how do we scale something that's good? And then you'll find out what the limit of your bucket is. And I think it's a constant process of finding what the limit of your bucket is. That initially, you know, maybe that's seeing two patients an hour, that that's the limit of the bucket. And maybe some practices are, are just that that's what they do. And that's fantastic. But at some point, somebody might say, I want to see three or I want to see four patients an hour. And so being able to, to bump that bucket without losing the, the clinical um, outcomes that you're really looking for, because as soon as you start bumping the bucket and the clinical outcomes suffer, you forgot about the product. So balancing those hands, it's a tricky game the, the whole way along. And I think systems are the way to, to make that happen and ensure that it happens, that and the, and the right people on the bus.
Yeah. You know, it's, I've never heard it said that way with the two hands and stuff. It's great. And that's something I've always even tried to do with the modern chiropractic marketing group in the sense of, you know, I don't want to go down marketing uh, avenues that um, forget about the clinical side of things or the patient centered side of things. And, and I do believe you can do it. Um, And a lot of chiropractors do. Right. And, and you made a good point where um, it's not about necessarily having great business systems to make a million dollars or a ton of money in, in today's environment, unfortunately, where insurances and stuff like that, it's, it's about sometimes just surviving. And I've seen too many chiropractors not get that business part of it or even the marketing and they just don't survive and they're great clinicians. And that's, that's sad for sure. Yeah. There's, there's nothing worse than to see somebody that you, you know, a young mm-hmm. practitioner who, you know, has their act together clinically and has the patient first and to hear that they've gone out of business that it really, uh, you know, dings us all because yeah. our profession has lost somebody who's, who's a potential leader and role model for the rest of us. They just didn't have the right, right systems in place. That's why I think the types of things that you're doing, uh, this information, um, your, your book and, and the, um, all of the things that you offer to practitioners is such a valuable resource that so many people are, are evidence-based and, and um, we've got to allow that group to succeed. Yep. Then I think that evidence-based group sometimes struggles more than the non-evidence-based group to succeed in practice. And uh, you're showing us how to do it right. So, so thank you for those resources. Oh, same to you. I, and I appreciate that. Yeah. It's like, you know, you'll see the other side of the profession where uh, they're able to, you know, uh, put aside the clinical side of things and, and focus all on marketing and business and do whatever it takes. And they, they do well financially, but that's not what we want to do. And we're here to say, both of us here to say that you can be clinically minded and have a great thriving practice. Let's take a break from today's episode and announce our sponsor, Propel Marketing and Design. I've known Darcy Sullivan for years and we've worked hand in hand on my websites. I don't trust anybody else to do search engine optimization. There's so much to it and she does a great job. If you're really going to get results with Google, you have to make sure your website is SEO optimized. And I really don't want you doing it yourself as a chiropractor. You just have to have this type of stuff done for you. There's just no way around it. And if you're looking to get more organic online traffic that pulls in new patients, Propel Marketing Design is currently offering chiropractors who listen to this podcast a free SEO website review. The free review will help you uncover methods that will improve your website and boost your search engine visibility. Head over to propelyourcompany.com slash chiropractor and schedule your free SEO website review. You won't regret it. She gets great results and your website needs this. Your search results need this. Head on over there to propelyourcompany.com slash chiropractor to get your free SEO website review today. I want to take a second to talk about a company that I really respect. These guys are great. I've known them personally, and they just have a high standard in our profession, and that is ChiroUp. ChiroUp is an online platform designed by chiropractors, doctors Tim Bertelsmann and Brandon Steele. I've personally worked with these guys before. They've spoken all around the world, teaching best practices for a variety of conditions. And about five years ago, they finally put together an idea that we've all already had. Chirub is an online platform that holds up-to-date protocols for over 100 conditions that we treat. The information in these protocols is then used to create take-home reports for our patients in literally four clicks, and they are 100% evidence-based. But the most refreshing thing about Chirub 
is that their mission is built on advancing the standard and reputation of chiropractic care. And that's something I know I can get behind. If you haven't checked them out yet, stop what you're doing now, go to their website and set up an account. First time subscribers can get 15% off their monthly subscription with the code Christy15. That's Christy15 for 15% off your monthly subscription. Get started and you can thank me later. I want to segue a little bit because uh, you obviously work a lot uh, throughout the week on, on Cairo Up and you, you founded that and uh, doing so many things to help chiropractors out. And, 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 and Cairo Up's clinically based. It's great, but it's also content and it's also doing a lot for the profession and the patients of the practitioners. And so I, I want to hear how you kind of went from private practice into that and then we'll dive into that material a little bit. I, you know, it really started like, like so many other things in our lives out of necessity that uh, I failed. Um, that, uh, and a lot of people have heard the story that I had a patient, and this would have been probably 10 years ago, mm -hmm. who came in. She had shoulder pain, anterior shoulder pain, so we knew it was one of 200 possibilities at that point in time. <laughs> uh, and I think that I had guessed the right one, that she mm -hmm. had a shoulder impingement syndrome. And I treated her, and on the fourth visit, uh, she didn't show up. So I went up front and I asked Debbie, our receptionist, where's Mary? And she said, oh, yeah, Mary called in. She said uh, she's not uh, feeling any better. She's not coming back and she's going to go see her doctor. Mm -hmm. And for any of us who have had that happen, which most of us have at some point in our career, you know how, how bad that hurts, mm -hmm. that you have someone who trusted you as the expert who had the answers and you failed and failed miserably. And to be honest, at that point in time, uh, I had invested a lot into my, my clinical skills. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I, f I finished up the, the sports uh, diplomate program, the CCSP, and I was interested in orthopedics. And I wasn't the smartest um, chiropractor in the world, but I wasn't at the bottom of my game either. And, and so it hurt to think that I had, had worked, but I wasn't completely certain why it hadn't worked. And I decided I don't want that feeling uh, to happen any more than it absolutely has to. So I dove into the literature and the, the data that was out there as to what's the better ways to assess this problem, what's the better ways to treat this problem. And at that point in time, about 10 or 12 years ago is when there was a radical shift in the way that we manage tendinopathies. Mm -hmm. That we used to think that it was something that was a chronic inflammation, you know, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, rotator cuff tendon tendinopathy, quadriceps tendinopathy, all those things were chronic inflammations. And we were learning about that point in time that they weren't that after about two or three days of inflammation, the body quits, that it says, hey, look, if you're not going to use these expensive inflammatory products, I'm going to go somewhere else. And so once that quits, it changes from an inflamed problem into an uninflamed problem or a degeneration. So I was treating her, her rotator cuff tendonitis. Well, that wasn't. I was treating something trying to suppress the inflammation. And once I learned that I probably need to do something a little bit consistently differently and started addressing scapular dyskinesis more uh, thoroughly, started addressing the apathy portion of it to stimulate a controlled inflammatory reaction instead of suppressing one, uh, surprisingly, the outcomes changed. Mm -hmm. That we started helping a lot more people. And we decided at that point in time that we were going to do that um, for more than one condition. And I was fortunate at that point in time that I had a, a very bright, the smartest chiropractor I know, uh, Brandon Steele. Let's never tell him that. Hopefully, <laughs> never tell him in person, but uh, he, he's, he's sharp. Yeah. And um, he was in the office, and we, we were very fortunate to be able to work together to develop some protocols. And we started out with the second protocol was a, a isthmic lumbar spondylolysis. 
And at that point in time, I wasn't 100% sure, is it a CT, is it an MRI, do I brace, do I not brace, what type of exercise do I give? And we all have a protocol that we use. Whether that's the current best protocol <laughs> is, is to be proven. And so I wanted to know, and uh, we, that was our second protocol. And we decided we're going to do this for a lot more conditions. And so we assembled an advisory board of, of a bunch of smart chiropractors uh, who are specialists in, in most every field, really. Um, and we went through the literature. Now we're, we're on our 101st protocol. So we look at the protocol. We say, you know, what's the etiology of this problem? How's the best, the most sensitive and specific orthopedic test? What's the best way to manage this? Uh, regardless of, of what our favorite tools are, what are the best tools? And what are we going to teach the patient? What, what are the exercises and what are the ADLs that this patient needs to learn in order to recover? So that's a uh, the database that we maintain anytime there's new research that comes out about any of those conditions, those 101 conditions, we update the data. So uh, a couple weeks ago, probably a couple months ago now, the dime test uh, was shown to be highly sensitive for rotator cuff tears. So now the dime test is in our assessment protocol. We're able to modify things and sometimes uh, we take things out. You know, there's kind of a new protocol for assessing TOS that some of the tests that we thought worked aren't as, aren't as efficient. When we look at a big systematic review uh, from uh, maybe a few months ago now, uh, so we, we changed those recipes to make sure that we all at least have access to a recipe that's been vetted and is something that is going to give us the best opportunity to provide the, the best product for the patient. Uh, so it all started as a result of a failure, and uh, we're still learning in the process. That I've certainly learned an awful lot uh, going through this, spending a lot of time in the, in the data, uh, but I, I'm still learning and don't, don't have anywhere near as many answers as I'd like. Yeah, that's, that's part of it, right? Um, but no, that's great, you know, and that's something that obviously a lot of chiropractors are, are uh, getting a lot of benefit from ChiroUp is improving their clinical skill set, improving, you know, I think what I, one of the things I've always been, I've always admired about ChiroUp's information is that as a clinician, it's very informative and I get all the science, but it's also easy to digest. And I know that I can take some of that material and I could plug it in and I could send it as an email to my patients or a social media post or whatever, or hand out to the patient. But it also helps me communicate to the patient better about complicated things. And I, I want to give you kudos to that because that's important because I think we over speak to patients a lot. And, and do you find that as well with clinicians? Oh, ab absolutely. That, um, you know, the patient is standing in front of us and it's, it's the same thing as if we're standing in front of another uh, provider who's, who's giving a lecture or something else that yeah. there's a lot of head shaking that goes on regardless if you know what's going on. I think the more confident you are, the more willing you are to say, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but unfortunately, patients don't have that level of confidence about healthcare. And so when we're standing, when they're standing in front of us, we can say anything they want and, and mm -hmm. they'll shake their head. Uh, yes, most of them at least, but they, they have no idea what you said. Unless they get it, it's not likely that they'll understand how to help themselves. That one of the things that we, we see through COVID and in telehealth is that we can give patients information and they can help themselves to recover uh, without us putting our hands on them. That we think of all the things that we do in our office that we could do through a piece of plexiglass in between us and the patient. Certainly our most valuable tools, mm -hmm. our myofascial releases and spinal manipulation and, and those sort of things can't be used, but a lot of things can. And I think the only way that we get maximum benefit with the patient is if they understand the things that happen 
on the other sides of the plexiglass. So if we're telling the patient why they need to strengthen their intrascapular muscles, but we don't explain what a forward head forward shoulder posture is and what it's doing to those muscles and how it's causing hypertonicity in their pecs, how it's causing weakness of their deep neck flexors and their cervicogenic vertigo and headaches are never going to go away unless we change that posture. So if they don't understand that with simple examples, they're not going to engage. It's the same thing if I said, hey, you need to take this new supplement, but I'm not going to tell you why you need to take this new supplement. The chances of that happening are really low. Mm -hmm. But if I told you this new supplement is going to, going to resolve, help resolve the problem that you've come to my office for, and here's exactly why, and you understood it, the chances of you taking that are much higher. So we know that patients who follow our advice is the minority, but we know that out of those patients who do follow our advice for the ADLs and the exercises, they're going to recover so much faster. So just helping the patient help themselves, which ultimately helps us because right now uh, we're, we're all being graded, whether we realize it or not, that we're being graded not only on our health, our health grades and our Google and our Yelp's mm -hmm. reviews, but we're also being graded on our clinical outcomes basically by everyone. That right now, anyone could go to a website, uh, the Medicare ca calculator from the Wall Street Journal. So if you just Google that, now you can see what your outcomes are, what's your average number of visits for a patient, what are the, what are the um, charges that you're going to use. And unfortunately for chiropractors, we only have three charges that we can use right yeah. now. Yeah. Spinal manipulation at one to three or, or, or above five uh, levels, but yeah. that'll change. And that'll change based upon the data that we can continue to show that what we do is highly effective. Mm -hmm. So we're being graded on a constant basis. And that, that grading is through Medicare, it's through insurance companies. And right now Medicare is really the only company or one of the few companies that pays us more or less based upon our outcomes and our ability to fill out a lot of paperwork, which most people didn't even do. Uh, but private insurance has said, we're going to do the same thing, that we're going to pay for outcomes. And so at some point in time, the average right now is, is that private insurance has said that we're going to swing about 15% plus or minus. So if I get paid 15% more for doing a great job or 15% less for doing a poor job, that 30% difference is a huge swing in how I'm going to succeed or fail. And so in the future, we have to have those recipes that allow us to perform at the highest level. And I, I think that that's, that's our mission is that uh, as being part of an association for a long time and understanding that, um, you understand that without a lot of chiropractors on our team, our, our profession will really struggle. Yep. That there's not a, a legislative session that goes by in any state in the nation, and I'm in Illinois, which we have a lot, lots of legislative sessions. <laughs> but there's not a legislative session that goes by that our license is not literally at risk of, of potentially going away and that our privileges to practice as physicians is not going away. Yep. Um, so without without members of those associations, both nationally and statewide, we're not able to defend against those threats. And so you and I and all of our peers have to be in that club. And if only the evidence-based chiropractors are in that club, it's going to pose a challenge that we need to move everybody along the spectrum, regardless of where they stand. Let's all take one step toward delivering a better product and then let's all make sure that we support those organizations that, that allow us to continue to serve our patients. Definitely. And one of the things, you know, to kind of circle back around, we've talked about, you know, being clinical first, but then having good systems and, and layering on good marketing. 
you know, ChiroUp's doing a great job of, of getting chiropractors to be better clinically, understand all these different uh, issues, these outcomes, how it's going to relate to reimbursement. So we got to sure up the clinical side of things, and you're doing that through ChiroUp, which is, which is great. But ChiroUp's also a system in itself for, for practitioners, right? So explain that a little bit. Uh, right. So, so Cairo up, uh, our foundation is the clinical base that we just talked about of the conditions, but we need, to, we need to turn that full circle that that clinical knowledge base has to be, it's pretty useless unless we deliver it to patients. So mm-hmm. we allow providers to deliver that information to patient. If a patient comes in with a cervical disc lesion and lateral picondylopathy, um, in a couple of clicks, the chiropractor can build out a report saying, Hey Bill, here's what's going on with your problem. Here's what I'm going to do to solve it. And it's in sixth grade language. We like Mm -hmm. to keep things simple, both in the way that we we describe things to the doctors and to the patients. Um, And so here are the things that we're going to do, spinal manipulation, traction, whatever you want in your recipe, we provide the baseline. And then here are the things that you need to do to help yourself as far as how to set up your workstation, what type of pillow. And then these are the exercises that are most appropriate. And if providers can change any of those recipes, what's great is a student can take this on when they're first starting out as they learn how they want to manage a given condition. They can change our recipe to make it their recipe. And then that gets delivered to the patient. The patient has access to an online portal that they can view their exercises. But more importantly, we are able to monitor, are able to assess the outcomes. So we survey the patient on their clinical outcomes and their patient satisfaction. So now that comes back to the provider confidentially so that the provider can see, okay, here was the recipe that I used and here's what happened when I used that recipe. And then they can compare that to other recipes that are being used and we as ChiroUp can say, here's a better recipe. So that now we've got you know, more than a thousand different clinic locations that are, that are sharing recipes with each other that we're all learning from each other, educating our patients and moving forward, which allows us to, to provide resources that we just couldn't as an individual provider to have a system like this uh, in private in your own practice to build it for yourself uh, is is not feasible that we've all tried it in fact most of our subscribers have said yes i've started to build that system yeah. <laughs> 90% of our subscribers have started to build that system but to keep that up and running takes a lot of infrastructure and so we're we're fortunate to have a number of clinics who are working together to make that happen. And uh, we try to keep it full circle and keep learning from each other. I always think back to Mike Matheny, who is a uh, manager oh, of yeah. Cardinals. Yeah. So you go, well, yeah, you're, you're down near Jupiter, right? So yeah. Cardinals training facility down there, the greatest baseball team on earth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Braves fan. I'm a Braves fan. So it's a little. <laughs> I'm not a Cubs fan. That's okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So he, uh, he talked about, well, it was me and 500 other people, but um, we, uh, we sat down and he told us that the greatest players on the team really had four qualities that separated them. He said that if you, if you took um, the jerseys off of all AAA players and all major league players, threw them out on the field, a professional coach who wasn't familiar with them could not tell you who's a major leaguer and who's not in a couple of practices that this, the subtleties of somebody who rides the bus for $10,000 a year and somebody who makes multiple millions and everybody has their jersey on in the stands is very, very subtle. He said that the differences in those, those two uh, crowds was number one, the professional, the true professionals, the elites worked harder, that they weren't just naturally talented. Of course, every one of those guys and, and girls is naturally talented, uh, but they worked harder than their peers. They also worked smarter. He said that Yadier Molina 
and Matt Holliday, who then became a Yankee, uh, will be the most, most likely to get coaching about how do I do this better and also most likely to give coaching. And that they also had goals. The best players knew what they wanted, that they just didn't go out there and swing or just didn't go out there and throw. They knew they wanted to improve their ERA by 2% or they wanted to improve their batting average by 10 points. And most importantly, they worked as a team. And he said, rarely is there a selfish player who excels, that you'll get that occasionally, but for the most part, the great players understand, I can only perform as well as my teammates allow me to perform. And so those four things were, were really motivating to, to us as well to say, yeah, it does, it does take hard work. And everybody thinks of what an overnight success. <clears throat> I don't think there really have been too many overnight successes, and you can probably attest to that as well as yeah. we talked about before. Great. It takes a lot of time. And um, so let's go to the third part with some marketing, because obviously we talked about systems. We talked about the clinical side of things. Uh, I think ChiroUp's doing some stuff for chiropractors now to also get the information out to their audience as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we, um, we do a couple of things that we try to mainly market outcomes so that once you have a great product, we believe that the most successful market Marketing has to do with relationships, mm -hmm. that if you can have a great product, you have deserved the opportunity to develop a relationship with someone and you deserve the opportunity for them to refer, whether it be a patient or an MD. And so once the, once the clinical outcomes are in place, then um, our, our providers can also go into our marketing database. And we have about 15 different marketing campaigns. Mm -hmm. Uh, most of them are relationship-based. Our most successful ones are certainly the MD marketing and the patient referrals. But it's also things like patient experiences. What does your office look like? When, when somebody walks in, you, is there a, have you done a five census survey? What's it look like? What's it smell like? What, what does the office feel like? What's the temperature? What are the seats like? And just sitting in each of the rooms in your office to determine, is this somewhere that, that projects the product that I want? If a patient is lying on their back on the table, do your lights look clean? Are there bugs in the lights? Because those sort of subtle cues are inconsistent with clinical excellence. So if there's bugs in the, in the fluorescent light tube or on the LEDs are, are, are faded, um, those are not going to be things that, that look well for us. So the marketing campaigns are really more the relationships of ways that we can continue to, to project that we're on our game um, and that, that we're taking those outcomes and then relaying them to patients. Uh, we have attorney marketing um, campaigns as well. Um, we, we don't do a lot of external type marketing, but we do recognize that as a new practitioner, you need that, that it's hard to leverage relationships when you're new to the game. And so some of those successful things are the things that you're, you're very familiar with and, and provide great advice on in, in your book and podcasts as far as um, how do we leverage social media, that that's something that we can do fairly inexpensively. And social media is something that fortunately most new grads are pretty familiar with, that uh, they understand how it works, they understand what needs to happen, they understand that it's really simple to grab my phone and say, hi, this is Dr. Smith, and I want to tell you about plantar fasciitis. Your plantar fascia is this band of tissue that runs on the bottom of your foot, and sometimes it becomes irritated or inflamed. And it usually happens to people who are on their feet for a long period of time. And the symptom is when you stand up in the morning, it hurts. The good news is there help. there's help. There's a research study that says chiropractic care and soft tissue manipulation can improve this very quickly. And what I do is this. I grab the foot and I'll work out the muscle. I'll mobilize the ankle. I'm going to give you some exercises and we may consider this little gizmo called a Strasburg sock, which is a lot better than the boot that you're going to get from somebody else. Mm -hmm. And if you think that you have plantar fasciitis, I'd love to talk to you. So, you know, giving that one minute spiel once a week 
on a different condition will harvest a lot of patients via your, your social media platform. Uh, and just being out there consistently, that getting content. It's much like uh, if you drive by a restaurant, if you hear that it's a great restaurant, you wouldn't expect the parking lot to be empty. That if the parking lot's empty and there, you know, there's, there's dirt on the windows and the sign is all faded, you're thinking, I'm not quite sure I want to go into that restaurant. Well, that's not how people assess chiropractic offices. Yes, they will drive by your office to see if all those things are present. But before they'll even consider driving by your office, they're going to look you up online and going to say, what's your website look like? What does your social media page look like? Does it look like it was created 12 years ago by a template? Or does it look like it's alive? Because I want a chiropractor who's alive, that this is somebody, somebody who's going to help me with health. So are they putting regular content on there, regular blog posts? Are they having links and is it helpful? Or are you continually asking? And like any other relationship, those, um, those social media relationships Number one, have to be social <laughs> because that's what social media is. It can't be one ask after the next or come see me, come see me, come see me. And it has to be, here's something for you. And if you ever need me, I'll be here. I'm going to finish up by just making a recommendation because one of the, to the audience, a lot of my chiropractors I talk to, they, they don't know what to talk about. And you just hit it on the head there. And one of the things that ChiroUp will provide the chiropractor is information on topics. And so a lot of chiropractors are unsure of themselves. Like they're afraid of shooting that video on plantar fasciitis because they don't necessarily know what to talk about about plantar fasciitis or they might say something wrong. So they could review the condition in your portal, get comfortable with it, and then shoot a nice little video with that. And now you've got some really good content out for your community. So... Wonderful. And don't be afraid to mess up that this is not a television, television commercial. Uh, just as I just did there that that stumble makes you human. And, yeah. And you know, your audience is the lay person in your community. It's not you and me like, I, I, you know, like, I think that's the other thing chiropractors are worried about is they think that Dr. Smith, their colleague is going to see the video and say, Oh, well, you, you use the word tendonitis instead of tendinopathy, like, or you use TMJ instead of TMD. Like, it's, it's not going to be like that. Your audience is not other chiropractors. It's, it's actually the community and so don't be afraid to mess up like you said great advice so all right well i really appreciate your time today this was this was great just a, a wealth of knowledge uh this won't be our last time we get to do this okay i appreciate the invite usually in a uh, in a podcast uh i just think of how sick of people are getting to hear me but in this one uh, the good news is i was able to take five notes and things that i'm going to do in my practice that i learned from the interviewer so thanks for all that you do uh, I hope that all the uh, Cairo Up listeners will, will check out your podcast on a regular basis, check out your product, tremendous information, and, and thanks for being one of the good guys in our profession. Absolutely. Thank you. You too. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show. Before you leave, make sure you check out our website. We've got blogs and podcasts and all kinds of great info at www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com. We also have a closed Facebook group of the same name where a lot of like-minded chiropractors are workshopping ideas and making sure that we have this continual advancement of marketing, business, mindset, and just growth of your practice. So check us out, modernchiropracticmarketing.com and the Facebook group of the same name.